Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include my interview with Andy Walden and Mike Sklarz on the housing market and purchase impact, and why we saw a little bit of a rally yesterday in the bond market. Thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Black Knight. During these podcasts with Black Knight, we will be speaking with several folks from the company's data and analytics division, which provides high-quality, comprehensive, and nationwide property and mortgage data, as well as cutting-edge analytics solutions. Black Knight's data and analytics help lenders mitigate risk, generate more leads, and reduce costs. As a result, lenders across the U.S. trust Black Knight's data and analytics to help them be more competitive and grow their business. Speaking of which, for today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Andy Walden and Mike Sklarz. Mike Sklarz is the Managing Director of the Black Knight Collateral Analytics Group, an industry-leading analytics and data team concentrating in the area of real estate technology. He has extensive experience in real estate research, analysis, and technology product development in the U.S. and global markets. Michael has also written numerous academic papers on these topics with Professor Norm Miller of the University of San Diego. Previously, Michael was head of analytics at Fidelity National Financial and chief valuation officer for Fidelity National Information Solutions. Andy Walden is the Vice President of Enterprise Research and Strategy of the Data and Analytics Section for Black Knight Inc., a premier provider of integrated software, data, and advanced analytics to the mortgage and real estate industries. As the chair of Black Knight's editorial board and the guiding force behind Black Knight's Mortgage Monitor Report, Andy is widely cited by media outlets and industry publications. His insights are gleaned through in-depth analysis of Black Knight's robust suite of data solutions, including Black Knight's industry-leading McDash loan-level mortgage performance database, the Black Knight Home Price Index, SiteX, a comprehensive U.S. property database, and numerous additional data repositories. He has over 15 years of industry experience, including default servicing operations, market surveillance, and applied mortgage analytics. Brendan O'Connell is the data solutions manager for the Optimal Blue division of Black Knight. So Andy, I want to start with you. We spoke at some length yesterday on the current rate environment and how it's been impacting borrower incentive and behavior, but what is it doing to affordability in general? Yeah, it's having a, an incredible impact on affordability so far this year. I mean, as we all know, the average 30-year interest rate is up 2% so far this year. It's a percent and a half higher than it was in February of 2020 as we entered into the pandemic. And then on the other end of the equation, we've seen home prices that are already up nearly 9% over the first four months of 2022. They're up 42% since the onset of the pandemic. So both of those things combined are causing incredible pressure on home buyers out there in the market. If you look at just cash flow required to uh, to, to make mortgage payments on the average home purchase, it's up $600 per month over the first five months of this year. That's a 44% increase just in the principal and interest payment needed to buy the average price home. If you kind of run that over the life of the pandemic, we're up $865 per month. So if you're financing via a 30-year a, a fixed rate mortgage, that's $865 per month over the next 30 years to buy that same home that you could have bought at the onset of the pandemic. It's an 80% increase. So pretty significant increases out there in the market. Now, we are seeing homeowners balance sheets that are stronger. We're seeing equity positions that are stronger. So from a cash perspective, homeowners are doing pretty well, but we have not seen incomes keep up with those price increases and with those interest rate increases. And so when you start to wrap in kind of what share of the average income is needed to buy the average priced home, 
we're not talking about over a third of the median household income that's required for the average mortgage payment or for the mortgage payment to buy an average priced home, which makes May of 2022 one of the three least affordable months that we've seen historically, ranking right up there with June of 2006 and July of 2006. So a lot of being uh, a lot of pressure being put on from an affordability standpoint. It would only take rates getting to, to 5.35% or another roughly 1.1% rise in home price growth to, to put us at an all-time low in terms of home affordability. And, and this is true across the country. Mike's going to start talking about uh, some of the inventory pieces across the country here in a little bit. But when we start to look at affordability across the 100 major markets, 44 of the, the largest 100 markets in the US are now the least affordable they've ever been. So again, a, a lot of pressure being put on affordability, both from rising rates, but from the record home price growth that we've seen in recent years as well. Wow. Yeah, I will get to Mike in a second. I have one more question for you, Andy. Is this worsening affordability starting to play out in the market yet? For example, have we seen any cooling in home prices or buying activity as we are in a you know, traditionally strong spring home buying season? Yeah, and, and, and typically, you know, it takes a little time for this to make its way into the market. If you look historically at, at interest rate movement and kind of the acceleration or deceleration that, that happens downstream in the market, typically it takes about five months from that interest rate movement to make its way into those traditional home price indexes, right? So Black Knight, uh, Black Knight's home price index is a great example of that, right? It takes time for it to affect borrowers' buying power, their decisions, the contracts they're putting putting in place, and then for those contracts to close and be p- picked up in repeat sales analysis. I think that's where a lot of the value in, in Mike's data that he's going to be discussing today, that collateral analytics data, uh, right? Along with optimal blue rate lock data, that, that real-time ticker of what's going on in the market becomes extremely valuable. Right? But if you look at those near-term tickers, a couple of things are standing out. One, I mean, you're seeing a, a deceleration in home price growth from, from March to April of this year. That's likely actually being driven by some of the interest rate moves that took place in late 2021, early 2022. So we have seen kind of a modest, modest slowing in home price growth that's being observed already out there in the market. The second one is if you look at rate lock data, right? And we talked about that yesterday and some of the impacts this is having on borrower behavior and borrowing behavior out there in the market. If you look specifically at purchase rate lock activity, it's now flat year over year on a volume basis. But if you back out the home price growth component there, you're actually seeing eight and a half percent fewer borrowers actually lock in purchase loans in May of this year compared to last year. So it's actually reducing kind of that that speed of flow, the speed of purchase activity that's taking place out there. Um, in, in the market. So you are seeing a, a number of different factors show this modest pooling so far. But again, I think it's going to be uh, kind of that August, September timeframe before you really see those strong levels of cooling take place in the mar- in, in the housing market. Black Knight recently released a white paper on the inventory crisis that's categorized the last several years in housing. The paper's called Trending Towards Zero. Mike, your group drove the research there. Can you give us the latest? Are we making any headway at all in terms of working our way out of the inventory crisis? Sure. Uh, In the white paper, we discuss how broad-based this low inventory situation is with regard to geography. That's virtually every metro in the country, but more interesting with regard to price ranges. Uh, Typically, uh, we'll see higher inventory um, as measured by our months of inventory number, and that's that's, uh, our favorite supply-demand indicator, which which actually uh, looks at how many months it would take to absorb all the homes on the market if uh, sales continued at the recent rate and no new homes were added to the inventory. And, and so what we're seeing is not only typically your, your affordable price ranges will, will show lower 
uh, months remaining than higher price ranges. But remarkably, in the past several years, and, and even currently, we're seeing this low months remaining stat in virtually all price ranges. So that's something that that is, is really quite unusual. And it's one of the things that we we talk about in the, in the new white paper. As the old adage goes, all real estate is local. Are any of these factors playing out differently in particular geographies? Are there any particular markets we should be watching closely moving forward? Well, uh, we just actually updated the most recent May numbers last week. And uh, despite uh, the increases in rates that Andy's you know, discussed and, and we're all well aware of, the inventory still remains incredibly tight virtually, in virtually all the markets. So, uh, uh, you know, we have seen some uh, s- uh, slight increases in the in the Northeast markets, the New York Metro and Nassau County and the Newark Metro and so on. But for the most part, uh, it, it's still very tight. In fact, when we look at the top 100 metros, uh, our month remaining number is 2.2 months, which which is you know, still hovering around historically low numbers. And, and uh, you know, we also talk in the white paper about, you know, why we're in the pickle that we're in. We, we uh, you know, the primary driver has been, we've never really built any meaningful number of new, new homes uh, after the Great, great uh, Recession. So this is really almost the past decade. Uh, uh, home construction has, has really not recovered in any meaningful way compared to prior cycles. But then uh, we, we've got a whole lot of other new factors that have been at work. Uh, we, we know that we had a very accommodative phys- fiscal policy uh, in the past several years um, that led to very low rates and, and uh, uh, to the point that uh, mortgage rates were actually negative in terms of real terms. So, so that really induced a lot of people to uh, refi, as we know, and, and those that did refi they really don't want to give up those low rates. So, so uh, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, we don't see anything's going to change uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, the remote work due to the pandemic, uh, that's a whole new phenomena. And homes are now basically replacing offices in various ways and, 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 the, and the demand for greater space. Uh, a new factor in recent years we is, have been in institutional investors. You know, the single-family housing market has become a, a new asset class on Wall Street, and 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 uh, these new institutional investors have uh, accounted for a significant amount of uh, incremental demand in the market. And and then of course uh, there's really been this ongoing not in my backyard uh, sentiment and restrictive zoning. So, so it's continued to prevent any meaningful increases in, in new construction in addition to the other factors that we mentioned. And, and so, uh, uh, unfortunately, going forward, uh, we, we do see some increases in inventory. And, of course, the lower sales rate that we, we discussed and, uh, uh, you know, will cause a moderating in prices. But structurally, it's hard to see where any of this is going to change significantly over the next couple of years in terms of uh, any meaningful increases in inventory. And, and just to add a little bit to, to Mike, what Mike said there, one thing that caught my ear when he was talking there was the, the low inventory on the high end of the market. And when you look at the rate environment and, and the different funding mechanism for the jumbo market versus the conforming market, one thing we see when you look at just lending activity is that jumbo rates are comparatively as attractive compared compared to conforming rates. And so I think some of what you're seeing there with the, the lighter than typical 
inventory levels at the high end of the market is that jumbo pricing is now attractive compared to conforming pricing. And so that may restrict any changes there. And you may continue to see that that high end inventory continue to run low. Um, the other thing that that we see when we start to look at it from a more localized market perspective, right? And we start to cross-examine affordability versus inventory levels out there in the market. A couple of markets that, that stand out to me when looking at that data, uh, two of them are San Francisco and San Jose. And I see, I see those kind of as, uh, as similar markets driven by kind of the tech boom. A, a few things stand out there. One is that San Jose is the least affordable that it's ever been. San Francisco is not quite back to 2006 levels, but when you look at the the share of income needed in San Francisco to buy the average price home, you need a third more of the average income to buy the average home there than you traditionally do in that market. So very uh, unaffordable markets. And then when you start to look at that inventory examination, as, as Mike mentioned, every single market across the country right now is running inventory shortages, but they're the lightest in San Francisco and San Jose, right? They're running 23 and 36% shortages, right? So perhaps not quite as much of an inventory backstop to prices in those two markets that you're seeing across other major markets across the country. And then when you look at new inventory inflow, those are two among a, a, a small handful of markets that are seeing new inventory levels actually run above pre-pandemic levels. So perhaps those markets may transition a little bit earlier than the rest of the country. And then lastly, if you look at those two markets, they're two of the markets that back in 2018 and 19, when rates went from three and a half to 5%, we saw that tightening of affordability during that time frame. Those are two markets that started to see prices edge downward and show some price risk before rates dropped and, and affordability improved again. Right. So those are two areas of the country that certainly stand out to me. The other from a geographic perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, are Phoenix and Las Vegas, right? Those are markets that have really benefited from some of that migrationary activity that Mike was talking about as well. And you've seen kind of this influx and this increased buying power from folks moving from more expensive markets. And when you look at local buyers there, it now takes twice the, the level of, of median local income to buy the average priced home there than it has been in the past. Now, Phoenix still has a, a significant inventory shortage and has some backstop there, but Las Vegas kind of falls in the grouping of San Francisco and San Jose, where they have one of the five smallest inventory shortages out there in the market. So those are some of the markets that kind of catch my eye as, as we look forward at the tail end of 2022 and, and 2023 is those canaries in the coal mine to kind of watch from a housing market perspective. I think those markets stand out. Mike, I want to go back to you real quick. Where do you see this all going and, and what will be the ultimate impact to the housing market? Well, I, as I said, the inventory um, situation is not going to change overnight. So I think with uh, uh, ho hopefully they'll come up. We'll come up with more creative ways of, of, of building more housing. But uh, like like I say, all the different factors going on are, are going in the wrong direction. Uh, with regard to home prices, which I think is one thing most people are interested in, uh, you know, we've had incredible increases in the last several years. So <clears throat> typically, when real estate markets uh, do that, uh, we we get into more of a, a slower appreciation or flattening out of prices, which I think we will have. And, and, uh, but, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, are we in a bubble and things like that. It's uh, the situation is very different than, than leading up to uh, the financial crisis when we really did have significant overbuilding. So we have a very different environment now with this tight inventory. So, so, so we're looking at moderating uh, price increases, but still uh, either a, uh, a positive or uh, at worst a flattening trend in, in most markets. So, so uh, 
you know, sales will be uh, lower because of higher rates, but uh, this inventory is really going to cushion cushion the market for any any uh, uh, price declines or, or or more difficult situations. Finally, Andy, while this market presents a growing challenge to home buyers, particularly those who are purchasing their first home, it's been something of a boon to existing homeowners, hasn't it? And it's really a tale of two stories for the market out there. For folks that have been trying to become homeowners, it has been and continues to be one of the most challenging markets that that we've seen historically. I mean, it started with just that lack of inventory, again, that, that Mike discussed and folks that were out there shopping had <laughs> had five offers come, f- coming up against them, 10 offers coming up against them, right? They were giving up their rights. They were giving up their inspections. They were putting in appraisal gaps, things that are very unconventional in the market and having to compete in ways that, that really we haven't seen folks compete with in the past. And then we've seen interest rates rise. And if you haven't been priced out of the market, then you're paying significantly more in mortgage payments than you had in the past, right? So an extremely challenging market from a buying perspective. On the opposite end of the the spectrum, for those existing homeowners, they've been watching their home values and their equity positions go up and up and up. I mentioned earlier, the average homeowner has seen their home go up in price by 42% over a, a little over the last two years. Right, They're, the average homeowner entering the pandemic had one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars in equity to borrow against. Now they have two hundred seven thousand dollars to borrow against, while still leaving an equity cushion in their home. That's a sixty-plus percent increase in equity that they have to borrow against. So, and, and we'll kind of discuss that and the, the implications that has for lending on tomorrow's uh, episode. But obviously, obviously constraining the affordability landscape, creating a lot of challenges. I mean, we already had affordability challenges entering the pandemic. It's widened that gap. Uh, even further now as well. Well said. Andy, Mike, thanks guys. I thought this was great. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We saw a little bit of a rally yesterday amongst global stagflation concerns. The World Bank cut its forecast for global economic expansion in 2022 again. Meanwhile, Paydowns in the Fed's portfolio were estimated at only $30.5 billion, which would be less than the final monthly cap of $35 billion. However, since the initial cap is $17.5 billion, the next schedule will include purchases totaling $13 billion, or about $1 billion less per day, than the current schedule. Weekly mortgage applications from MBA let off today's calendar. Including an adjustment for the Memorial Day holiday, and with mortgage rates surging higher, mortgage applications decreased 6.5% from one week earlier. The market index is now down to its lowest level in 22 years. The purchase market continues to suffer from low housing inventory and higher rates, worsening affordability challenges, particularly on prospective first-time buyers. Later this morning brings wholesale inventories and sales for April. After yesterday's $44 billion three-year note auction met lukewarm demand, today brings a $33 billion 10-year note reopening. The desk will purchase up to $1.7 billion of 30-year 3.5% through 4.5% mortgage-backed securities. And we begin the day with agency MBS prices worse an eighth to a quarter and the 10-year yielding 3% after closing yesterday at 2.97%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A man rushed into a busy doctor's surgery and shouted, Doctor, I think I'm shrinking. The doctor calmly responded, Now, now, settle down. You'll just have to be a little patient. <laughs> Thanks again to Black Knight. This week's podcast sponsor is an award-winning software, data and analytics company that drives innovation in the mortgage and real estate industries. 
in the capital and secondary markets. The company's data and analytics division provides comprehensive property and mortgage data, as well as innovative analytics. Learn more at blacknightinc.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.